0: Now, this is a season where it is much cooler, and a lot of people like to think of this as, you know, if somebody is single, they might want to go out and try to find a relationship. They call it cuffing season. They're like, I want to be in a relationship for the winter months or whatever it might be. Well, you know, personally, I would hope it would go longer than that. But I wanted to make sure that for all of those, especially you online who are joining us, that you may need some help with this uh, area. And of course, I am an expert in the area of of dating and relationships, as you can tell. So I'm going to give you a few uh, good opening lines uh, that can be used in case you need this. I see you in the back with the purple. Yeah, I know. Just in case you need this as well. Okay, good. So here, here, here are eight of the better ones that I liked. We may not be socks, but I know we'd make a great pair. Let's commit the perfect crime together. I'll steal your heart and you steal mine. I know, I know. How did the telephone propose to his girlfriend? He gave her a ring. Yes. Have you been to the doctor lately because I think you're missing some vitamin me? Ah, okay. We got four more. We got four more. Okay. Did you hear about the notebook that married a pencil? She finally found Mr. Right. I was told never to date a tennis player because love means nothing to them. Are you a bank loan because you have my interest? And finally, are you Australian because you meet all of my koala Yes, this explains a lot, doesn't it? Yes, I know, I know. The thing is, is that oftentimes we uh, find a lot of the uh, passages in scripture that talk about romantic love or intimacy and we kind of like brush over them quite a bit, but I find it interesting because that's more of a thing that we have started to do in our society today is that we oftentimes don't know how to deal with conversations about intimacy and relationships. Because either it's plastered everywhere around, whether we like it or not, or we're afraid almost to talk about it, and we feel like it's something to avoid. The thing that I always loved about Paul, Paul doesn't really avoid too much. Yeah, he's pretty clear about things. The thing with this is that Paul is speaking to people in the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is this Greek Greek port city. And with that, not only do you have a lot of the Greek influence, but it's also at a time during the Roman Empire. Now, what we see is that there were some different cultural norms that were happening during this time period. Now, remember, a lot of letters that had been written were oftentimes written to the Jewish community that had come to know Christ. But in Thessalonica, this is one of the examples where Paul does need to talk to those who are Roman citizens, who have more of a Hellenistic background, a a Greek type of background, not just culture, but also in their society. Now, the thing is, is that back then, there were a lot of things that were different in regard to what people expected or accepted in regard to male, female, or other relationships. With that is there might be examples where there were temples in the area where oftentimes it was expected that things like prostitution were a normal part of the way they would practice in the temple. There were also times whenever certain officials would have not just a wife but also uh, two others that might be a part of either not only the official's life, but also even having additional families outside of his primary family. There might also even be times where the idea of having relations with somebody was actually seen in many ways as not just a part of marriage, but rather is just getting to that as soon as possible. The idea of eroticism was moved to a level where people weren't even sure how to see a Christian life beyond what they had been used to before that. The thing is is that we know quite often how we see in a world that has many things that are acceptable, that it is very difficult to communicate the idea that what we do with our lives, our physical, our mental, our spiritual lives, are meant to be glorifying to God. Uh, last week, I I believe it was last week, we were discussing how in Christian uh, realms of different ideas of dating in the life, it is that it oftentimes went so far as to even be afraid of whether or not to kiss someone before their wedding night. And yet oftentimes then what we'll actually see in Christian circles is that it's sort of like this idea that if I've gone past a certain point, then now everything else doesn't matter in God's eyes. This is a thing that is difficult, not just for the people during Paul's time. You see, it says in Scripture that there's nothing new under the sun. This is still a place that we find ourselves today. Is There are oftentimes parts of our lives that we see this is something for God. And then the rest of it, well, that's for me. Or, you know, God's idea of what should happen, that's just a little too narrow. So I'm just going to do what makes sense to me and we're going to go from there. The thing that we end up seeing in Paul's letters is that we end up having an idea of what we're meant to do, not just because we have the letter of the law, but rather asking What is actually good in God's eyes? But also, what is good with one another? When I was uh, teaching uh, over at Chinquapin, there was a a student, we were finishing up, um, I was coaching volleyball uh, one semester. I was originally supposed to coach uh, middle school volleyball because middle schoolers, you're just wanting them to get the ball over the net. I was like, I can handle that part, that sounds great. Uh, And then at the last minute, and I mean like the week before school started, the varsity coach for high school quit and said, I'm not helping anybody with anything and they said, well, Jason, you're literally the only one who's even played volleyball. And I'm like, I-, I never played in school, so I don't know what's going So that was the worst uh, season that they had in volleyball at the school. Uh, we won three out of six games, I think, maybe. It was pretty bad. Um, but with that, though, is it was an opportunity, though, to get to know some of the students. And as we were finishing up one of our games, one of the things that I appreciated about the school where I was teaching was that they really emphasized being able to have uh, conversations with students about life and being able to be there for them. And out of nowhere, one of the students says, hey, Jason, you're a pastor, right? And I was like, well, yeah, that's what they told me at seminary. And it was one of those things where she says, what is this whole thing about, like, not having sex before marriage, is that really that big of a deal? And I'm like, what in the world? How in the world? It was like in the evening. It was like dinner time. And I'm just like, who in the world randomly asks some adult that question? And I'm like, oh my word, how am I going to handle this? Now, we could go to things like, you know, like their Sunday school answers, you know. Well, you know, the the Bible says, do not commit adultery. Which... (sighs) kind of sort of fits it but not exactly not when you're talking to a high schooler who's never been married but at the same time you're still trying to communicate to this high schooler that even though she may be looking at her life as just do whatever seems like fun at the moment is that there's more to it than that and so instead talking about how God created Adam and Eve and that the two of them were together and that from the beginning of humanity and our culture and everything is that there was meant to be a one-to-one relationship that doesn't just end. And that later on, whenever Paul is speaking, he's talking about how our relationships are meant to be about respect. And in and, and talking about this stuff and being able to explain more than just saying, it's a commandment, don't do it, is you actually have a student saying, oh, that actually kind of makes sense. I have no idea what she did with going forward but at least at one moment in time, something finally sank in. But that's also the thing that Paul is trying to get across, is that he's trying to communicate to people who didn't grow up in a Jewish community where they had the Ten Commandments and they just accepted that this is what our society does. How do you communicate to a world that didn't grow up in the same background about what it is that God would want for you? Now, Paul goes into here and saying that, you know, do not go out and have these other relationships because uh, you're supposed to respect your brother in Christ. Now, I do want to pause. Because in many ways, this is this idea that people married young. And therefore, what it was is that you don't want your brother now to have lost their spouse. It's a very narrow view of this. Paul was in a culture at the time that very much was focusing on male headship and the idea of respecting your fellow man. But realizing that in today's world, the same thing is true, male and female, is that much of this is about respect for that person. See, whenever we see ourselves as being less than the temple of god whenever we just see ourselves as well just do whatever we wish at some moment in time we stop not only respecting ourselves but also other people if two people are intimate and then they realize wait we have nothing else that's in common and then they split now you've just communicated to a person that they were only good for one thing And then what happens to them in their next relationship? What happens to us in our relationship? But even more than that is to ask, what is it that we even do in our interactions all around us? If all that we can do is think about how we're satisfying one part of ourselves, then what does that mean for the billions of other people in the world that we're never going to have that with? Does that mean that now They have no use in our lives, and we have no use in theirs. And I hope that's not the case, because that would make for a very lonely world. When we see Paul's letter, and it speaks in here in so many different ways about what it is to not just disregarding man, but also are you disregarding the Holy Spirit from God? is that we are facing a world of YOLO. We are facing a world that says you only live once, so get as much out of it as you possibly can. I find it fascinating that Paul puts this part right before discussing the resurrection of the dead. See, the thing is is that we're oftentimes spending so long measuring our life in decades here is asking these questions of, well, I only have a few years of this part of my life, and then I only have a few years of that part of my life, and how can I get the most out of all this? And we live such hectic, reckless lives. We squeeze so much into every single moment, not even just in these relationships that can oftentimes be so fleeting, but, but what we do with our families, what we do with our jobs, is that we are trying so hard To squeeze everything out of it that after a while is that we pause and say, when was the last time that we actually did something meaningful where somebody either in our family or our friendships or our careers or our lives were actually blessed to know Christ today? Well, I had too much to get done. And yet, does this life finish when we enter the grave? See, it was, it's different for us in some ways because we're post 2,000 years of knowing that Jesus hasn't come back yet. So for us, we can take this idea that Jesus will come back again, and we can still kind of hold it as this idea. But for the people back then, they were understanding Jesus is about to come back. And then it's a year later, and two years later, and three years later, and people have passed away. Does that mean that they missed Jesus? Does that mean that they were just trying to get as much out of this life as possible and oh no, well, that's the end. If only you could have just lasted a little bit longer and waited for Jesus to get back. The thing is, is that everything in our life, no matter how long it lasts, is still not the end when we are here on this earth. It still goes on for an eternity. We will be raised up in Christ on that last day. And that's not meant to be this whole discursus on what's going to happen with the rapture or anything like that. Uh, People get way too caught up in the weeds on those things. But to point out that that's not the end for those who have passed. But it's also not the end point for you either. Are you living this life just trying to make sure that there is enough for today? To make sure that you had a memory or a photo or something that you can discuss over at the water cooler? Or is today another building block on something that's meant to go to eternity? I think we lose sight of that. I was, uh, I was told at one point when I first came to Christ Memorial Lutheran that we are a church of managers. We oftentimes have a habit of trying to figure out how we're going to tell everybody else what needs to get done or who we're supposed to hire to get it done. And sometimes we lose track of the fact that we're the ones who are supposed to get it done. When was the last time that you had an afternoon or an evening of mentoring a child, of cleaning up somebody's yard, of sitting down with someone you haven't seen at church in forever and just finding out what's going on in their life? When was the last time that you, yourself, were a part of that? See, a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that when we say we have only one life to live, well, we have only one life to live before the resurrection. How much are we using this life in preparation for the life of the world to come? And that's what we see in our gospel lesson for today. See, our gospel speaks about the 10 young women that are there waiting for the bridegroom. And the thing is, is that with this, they are unmarried women. They have so much to look forward to as far as what their life, what it is that they have uh, uh, coming forward for them. But being young, some of them didn't quite realize that they needed to be prepared for the future. Falling asleep, at that moment, because at that exact moment, I'm tired, I don't feel like doing anything else. Well, did you get enough oil? Well, I'm sure the bridegroom will come back. I'm sure it'll, it'll all work itself out. But the thing is, we do the same. You know, did I manage to make sure that I had enough vacation time? Did I manage to make sure that I had an extra room built onto the house? Did I manage to make sure that I was able to upgrade The Lexus, whatever it might be. I don't know what y'all drive. I have a Toyota. I used to have trucks. I don't think I'm ever going to have a Lexus. I'm a pastor. But with it, though, is we're spending so much time making sure we've squeezed enough right now. But if Jesus comes back today, what does he see? Because that's the difficulty with the young women and their lamps. Their lamps went out. And it's nighttime in a place that doesn't have streetlights. In a place that doesn't have the local glow of the McDonald's down the street in the golden arches. If it's dark, it's dark. And if you're inside and the light is behind you and you look out into the darkness and somebody doesn't have a light on, you have no idea who it is. Are you going to let them in? And at that moment is let us in. I don't know you. Jesus comes back and looks at us. Does he see us living out the lives that he gave us on the cross? If he sees us, does he recognize us? Are we spending so much time consumed with things that aren't going to matter? Or are we actually letting that light shine for the things that do? And that's the thing for me to tell you all today. We could go back to just trying to get to glory days of the church and everything else that we think we want to be. Or we can just pause and say, am I letting my light shine today? Not because I think that somehow that's going to make God love me, but because that's what Jesus has already given to us. In closing, I had uh, the, uh, some of the youth over the weekend. I gave them a little votive candles. Put a little light, you know, like each one, we, we, we turned it on. And I sent them all over this gym and turned off the lights. I said, okay, I need you all to come and find each other. And uh, I had uh, one of our uh, confirmation students, I whispered, go blow out their candles. Because I knew that he would have a great time doing that. Um... And I also knew that uh, he's, he's a little bit sneaky. He'd be good at it. That got so frustrating for everybody else because they weren't expecting that. I think we do the same. I think we sometimes get so caught up in living a good life that we miss out on the fact that there are other people who look just as good as us with their candle, but they're blowing out ours. And so what did they have to do? They had to go back to other people who still had their light glowing and get it relit again. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's been happening in your spirit. I don't know what's been happening with what's going on inside of you and why it is that it feels like that light keeps being blown out. But what I do know is that we're in this together. And that if you're struggling with that, let us help you to relight that. Not by our own power, but by the word of God who is still glowing by his spirit within us so that together we can get out into the world and we can make it a little bit brighter for the world to come. Thanks be to God.